you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> G'day there, it's Timmy Manor, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 Come SEN. On. Joining me tonight, like it does every week, Benny Blitz Little. Thank you, good to be here. Yes, we play some good songs on this station, don't we, Benny? Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and uh, what we do is we talk to people in the sporting world, and today, mate, we've got one of the best characters in the game. Can you believe it? Our special guest this week, he's one of the most charismatic, energetic, and beloved players of his era across his 15-year career in both the NRL and the Super League. Our guest played over 330 games, won two premierships, and represented New South Wales on three occasions. And who can forget that field goal to win the game for the Blues? Come on. He played with the Raiders, the Roosters, the Eels, the Storm, and the Wigan Warriors. Tonight, our guest on the Spirit of Sport is rugby league legend, Brett Finch. Finchie, welcome to the Spirit of Sport. Thanks for having me, boys. Yes. Lovely intro, Timmy. Yeah, thanks, man. I spent a I spent a couple of, a couple of days working on that. I, uh, I just wanted to make you sure. You know, I don't know if it's a compliment or or a, or a knock on me when the first line is is one of the best. And I was waiting for players, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, you're one of the, one of the best players in Parramatta history, mate. Yes. Um, let's. Where do we start, Finchie? It's three hundred. I didn't realize. Sometimes until I read these stats, I don't realize how accomplished our guests are, but. 300, over 330 games, 15 years of playing, you won two comps. Like, that's that's a lot to achieve in your career. When you look back in your career, is there um, something that stands out to you most that you're most proud of? Oh, well, mate, I guess there's a, there's a lot of things you're proud of. And, and, you know, I've got plenty of regrets too along the way. You know, when people say, no, I've got no regrets, I think, bullshit, you know. I've got a heap of them. Um, but, but, mate, the, the whole journey was great. I started as a 17-year-old kid. I was in high school. Um, you know, I was playing first grade, and you can imagine me at seventeen. I looked ten. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and and back then too, well, you you know, you seen it firsthand. You know, I burnt the candle at both ends as well, and I trained really hard. Um, you know, there's no really uh, the recovery and the science behind it all now. So, you know, I, I was pretty proud of uh, what I what I achieved, and you know, it's um, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago, really. Now, you know, I probably, you know, you got tackled five thousand times, but sort of forget what it feels like you know you just move into a different phase of your life but mate it, it, all I ever wanted to do was play football and all I ever knew was football and yeah um you, you know it's it's um you know I've had struggles since because it, it was everything to me you know I didn't have a missus or any of that when I was playing and um you know footy was my life so uh, I'm really proud of me, the journey and you know as you know that you have plenty of challenges so you've got to be pretty durable and mentally tough to to last it and um yeah yeah, I was happy with what I achieved. Well, we'll talk more about, um, I guess, a bit of post-footy later. It seems yeah. to be a common theme. Like, a lot of the guys and the guests we have on here, and, you know, me being one of them as well, they they all have a very similar story about when they finish. You know, no one really prepares you. As much as you say you're prepared, as much as people say they're okay. Yeah. To go from, uh, yeah. you know, playing something you've done your whole life, one certain lifestyle, uh, a, a way of living that is really enjoyable, then pretty much you're on your own. Yeah. You, uh, I keep telling people that, like, you know, some people don't know how to pay a phone bill when they retire, let alone, you know, live life True. without getting yeah. told where to be and what time to be there. We'll get into that yep. a little bit later. But let's just keep going on your career. Is there, is there like, you talked about, um, you know, stages of your life and stages of your career. Uh, we talked about all the different teams you played at. Is there a, a particular era of your career that stands out as your favourite? Oh, probably two, Timmy. The, the first couple of years at the Roosters. You know, I come from Canberra. They just won the comp. 
you know, I grew up in Newcastle, spent about five years in Canberra, and then next minute I'm in the middle of Bondi with a premiership-winning team, you know. So, um, you know, that was great fun. You know, obviously, you're 21, 22, living in Bondi, you know, in a successful team. Um, but we trained hard. Ricky Stewart was, you know, he rode me really hard, Stick. He, you know, when it was good, it was great. And, and because we're pretty similar guys, when it, you know, when the team struggled, we, we butted heads at times. But, you know, he's built a bit of resilience in me. And, and you know, that sort of, um, you know, I, I'd skin like an African rhino there. It's that thick, <laughs> you know, you can handle the criticism and the barbs. And, and I, that's the sort of was. And, yeah. Um, it, it, that was a great great period of my life and probably what the finish in Melbourne was, was something I'll always remember. It's a, it's an amazing club. You know, when I go down and talk to the boys, you know, I say I would have loved to play 15 years under Craig, but one positive from going down there late in my career and I've been in a few clubs, you know, I appreciated how good the club was and I knew that other clubs weren't like it. So, um, you know, my exit from Parramatta, you know, I remember I went to Daniel and just said, mate, there's nothing ever happened between me and Daniel. We got on fine. Daniel Anderson, that is. I just lost that competitive urge and the and the fire in the belly, which my whole game was built around. And you know, I knew me staying there. You know, as charismatic as I am, Timmy, when I'm if I'm a negative, yeah. um, if I'm in the negative mood, I can bring a team down as well. So um, I knew it was best for both parties, which turned out correct. And I went down there, and I'd always been a, a big fish in a small pond in the teams in Sydney, and then going down to Melbourne, I was like, yeah, we, we like you and we want you to play with us, but we don't love you, you know. And, <laughs> yeah because we can get someone else to fill the hole, you know what I mean? So I had to prove myself and uh, earn the respect of the team and, um, you know, play a different role. And it was another challenge at the back end of my career, which I was really proud of. I did, did a good job with. Yeah, you talk about filling your hole down there. You know, Melbourne's gain was Paris loss in many ways. So I still remember the feeling of when you left. So you left, I think it was after round four, was it, in nine, 2009? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, round four. Yeah, round four. I was so yeah. accustomed. Like, it was my second preseason. I'd spent, you know, a couple of years then training with the NRL squad and, I was so used to every time there was a story being told or a, a group of boys laughing, it was always you in the center of the, in the middle of it. Yeah. And it was a bit of an yep. eerie feeling when you, when you left, you know, it took a good, I don't reckon that whole season went by without anyone filling that hole. And even the next year it kind of took us a while to kind of realize that, you know, there's, there's someone there. Like I know Corey Norman for me down the track had that similar role in my head of someone that brought so yep. much life to a club, but you had that and you left a big hole there. Um, yeah. By stories, you've been lies. Uh, it, mate, it, but you know, you're right. And when I was in, you know, when I'm in the, um, you know, when I'm positive mindset, you know, you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. You know, some days I'd turn up dusty on a Monday, or I'm telling jokes. But then I'd go to training, and I was the most serious bloke there. You know. Oh, um, mate, why, why are you on that? You I, know, I still remember there was one Saturday, Benny. Yeah. He, oh, by the way, Benny Little, Benny Little Brett, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, yeah, to you, nice to meet you guys, <laughs> um, mate. It was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget. It was an off-season session, and Finchie came to training in his in his jeans and a white t-shirt. So he's come oh, in a cab, beautiful. in a cab. The boss opens his locker. He's got his training gear, snacks it on. Yeah. We go to the amphitheater at Parramatta Park, which is traditionally one of our harder sessions. It's a big, steep hill, and we're just getting torched on it. <laughs> Finchie not only does it after obviously what could have sure was a big <laughs> night. He does it. He <laughs> flogs everyone. Comes first by a country mile, and the whole time was just talking trash to the trainer. Oh my god! I thought we were gonna have a hard session, to, <laughs> but it was just—it was unbelievable. Like I, I remember going to that session, and I was thinking, "Oh no, Finchie's gonna embarrass himself here. He's gonna get in trouble." And he just flogged everyone. Oh um, so yeah, you talk about the influence you can have, like and the ability to back up. There wasn't many people that could do what you could do. Yeah, Finchie, um, yeah. you know, sharing those stories, bringing humour. Uh, being the life of the team. Did you know you were doing that when you were doing it? Was it a purposeful thing? Um, 
Oh, yes and no. You know what? You know, it's not like something I had to uh, manufacture. That's just who I was, you know, because yeah. I just loved that environment so much. I grew up in it. My mm. dad played footy. You know, he, he was a coach when the night started in the lower grades. So I was a ball boy, so I was in the change rooms from seven years of age, you know, that's awesome. um, around grown men yeah. and that sort of language and humour. And, um, you know, I grew up in a man environment. And um, at times you knew, but mate, I, I, no matter what age, when I was young, I could mix with the old boys. When I was older, I could mix with the young boys. I, mm. You know, I could be singing country with the country and western with the, <laughs> yes. you know, the boys from out bush. And I could be rapping with the Polynesian boys, you know. <laughs> Come on. Um, you know, I could I could relate to you know, most people, and I knew that was a strength yeah. Uh, yeah, you, of you, mine. You just summed up your uh, trip away trip one year. The, the country boy, <laughs> Benny Smith, the Polynesian Fletty Mateo. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, we had Guru, the weirdo. So that was <laughs> <laughs> he was just a weirdo, was he? Oh, Guru. He's, he's, no, no, no. He's he not a weirdo. Like he doesn't just, like country. He's, he's just, just uh, <laughs> thinks, looks at the world differently than everyone else, not weirdo. Yeah. Uh, mate. Let's let's go back to the very start. So when you were at Canberra, you know, it's is it nineteen ninety nine and you made your debut ninety nine, yeah. Against a storm, which where you finished up in the NRL. But as a seventeen year old, what was this experience like for you? Like it must have been um, you know cra- like it's every kid's dream to play in the NRL, but to do it at seventeen. Yeah. And were you still in school at the time? Yeah, I was I was in you know, year twelve at the time. Um yeah. I remember getting a call on the Monday at school and, and like I at school I was a okay student, I probably didn't apply myself that much because I was always in sport. But I'd be cheeky but never get into trouble, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was never rude in class. Um, you know, somehow I was one of those blokes who could start something but then, you know, charm me way out of it, you know? So I always got on well with people. Anyway, I got called to the office, you know, and usually the people who get called to the office are in trouble. I thought, what have I done here? And uh, it was a call from my mum to say, you've been picked in the team I'm coming to pick you up. You've got to go to training. And, and that was the Monday. We had the Friday night game. Um, Melbourne were the defending premiers. Uh, I got my start because Laurie Daly was in the origin. Yeah. Um, I think I think it was about round 13. So um, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, Timmy. And, and um, I went to school the, the day of the game till lunchtime and then went home and got myself ready and, and went out. And, you went to school uh, game day? I'm off the bench. Yes. I went to school game day. <laughs> good um, I, I started off the bench. Um, and I think Brett Mullins got injured really early. So I went on, they put Mark McClendon, who was in the halves, they put him to fullback. And I got onto dummy half, and I thought, I'm just going to have a run, get myself in the game. And I come out of dummy half, and, and the mark had just got me by the legs. So you're sort of like a sitting duck. And I fell straight into the, the biggest man in rugby league, Glenn Lazarus. It's like he just, it was like falling into a love sack, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> just absorbed me, and uh, it certainly got me into the game. He absolutely hammered me. <laughs> I can't. I still can't believe you went to school game game day. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you played against guys in that era, like mate, my whole childhood. Like I watched a lot of you playing, but it was also you know Freddie and Joey was my favourite as a kid yeah. watching Joey play. Lockyer, what was it like coming up against those guys? You know, for me, like I got to, you know, I never got to play against uh, Joey or Freddie, but he get Lockyer towards the end of his career. And being the front row playing against Lockyer is a lot different than I guess being a key player making a team playing against Lockyer. Yeah. What was it like for you as, you know, you know the sheepdog or the, the key playmaker coming against those guys? Yeah, mate, I was the biggest fan myself. The actual, the start of 99, I've, I've come up to reserve grade and we're, the first grade team were playing Brisbane to start the season. And after the game, I waited around in the sheds to get their autographs, you know. Um, and I played reserve grade that day. So, like, within that year, I'm playing against these guys. And, um, you know, I, I'm a footy tragic, so I, I know the history of, of the game and, 
you know, I respect the history of the game. And, um, you know, Lockyer, Alfie Langer. Alfie Langer was that good. Brisbane knocked on one game, and I had the ball ready to feed the scrum. And Alfie comes up and goes, Finchie, you know, to um, use touch the first, it's our scrum feed. And I handed him the ball. <laughs> he went to, I handed him the ball. He was about to feed the scrum to the ref. He goes, no, Alfie, it's, it's uh, Canberra's feed. So, you know, I look back, I got to play with Laurie, you know, um, you know, and he was a hero growing up. I got to play with Freddie, who was my he was my best hero growing up. So, yeah. you know, and, and by the time I got to the Roosters, I was a bit older, and um, you know, I was more. My me and Freddie were mates. Where when I was with Laurie, you know, there was like a, you know, I was I was seventeen, he was thirty odd, you know, so it was a big age age group. Oh, sorry, uh, age gap there. So um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to play all those guys, and even at the end of my career, when you know you're playing with Inglis and Smith and Slater, you know, yeah, um, yeah, it was pretty fortunate. Mate, you touched on Freddie, um, and you got to play alongside, I guess, one of your idols in 2003. What what made you go to the Roosters? Why did you make that decision? Um, there was a few things. I, I, so for the first two years in Canberra, Laurie was there, um, and then he retired. A lot of the senior players retired. Ferner, Mullins, they, they all left the club. So I was 19 and the main man, you know, in, yeah. in, a, in a young team. So it was really tough. Um, my development over those sort of two years, 01 and 02, wasn't great because of the sort of the pressure I was under. For, you know, I was still learning the way, but I was expected to uh, lead the team. Uh, so to go to the Roosters, Sticky was there um, coaching. Yeah. And obviously to play alongside Freddie was amazing. And I remember when I went to speak to them, I went met them at Clay Valley Hotel and it was Gus and Sticky and Rico and they had like big Sunday feed, lunch and beers. And you just thought, how good is this? You know, Canberra's freezing cold. Yeah. And here I am at uh, Clay Valley. So, you know, it was mainly to play alongside Freddie and also, you know, be coached by Ricky and um, sort of more just get a bit of pressure taken off me as well. Yeah, just on Freddie, any of the listeners out there, definitely go check out Finchie's podcast. I, I'm i uh, I'm a massive Freddie fan too. And I heard your chat yeah, with Freddie. Yeah, amazing. The chat you had with Freddie early in your piece when you started doing your podcasting, mate, it's one yeah. of the best listens for, for an NRL fan or a footy fan to get a bit of a glimpse into the mind of Freddie. It's a, yeah. a great listen. So guys, definitely check that out. Was there any standout players that stood out for you that um, particularly took, made the effort to, to bring you through and, um, you know, help you adjust as a young player? Uh, Ruben Wickey was, was huge for me at, um, at Canberra. He, he took a real big brother-like role, being a second roller and, and defended inside me. And just a lovely bloke, one of the nicest blokes ever. Mm. Um, and he was huge. But then you sort of go along and, at the Roosters, Minnie was one of the best players I've played with, Anthony Minichello. He's, he's my best mate. We just had a great combination on and off the field. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, and he was like, when I talk about it, if I name my best team, I'd probably have him at fullback wow, ahead yeah. of Billy. Not that I think he's better than Bill, I think obviously, but I had a better combination with Minnie. And, um, you know, I guess like Slater had with Cronk, where, you know, I'd run the ball and Minnie would just be there. You know, he just knew what I was doing or, or what I was looking for. Or, um, you know, we, we just had a great relationship. So Minnie was, was great to play with. And then I guess, you know, you go, folks like Ryan Hoffman, you know, like he, I played with Hoffy for three or four years and, and he was me back rower and he looked after me and, you know, I'd give him some horrible passes, you know, and got him smashed a few times <laughs> and he never wins, just dusted himself off and went again. So it's sort of those guys you play with. You know, I remember Timmy coming through and I had a huge rap on him because there's so many young blokes at Para you know, probably a year or two older than him who had a really bad attitude or they had an enormous amount of talent, but they didn't really apply it. And, um, you know, to see Timmy come through, I remember, I think it was 09, they said, who's the best young kid? And we had 
Payne and Inu and all these kids. And I said, Timmy, man, it just goes to the way he applied himself at training and, and the type of bloke he was and he was respectful and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's more those sort of guys you play with, Ryan Hinchcliffe type that you that you remember because they're just great clubmen. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you that 100 bucks a bit later on as well. <laughs> you said 200. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> mate. mate, mate, 13 years in the league and then, you know, a few overseas. Um, did you start out to have such a, like, a, a, a long career? And was there was there anything you did in particular that just kept your body, um, you know, going all those years? Um, mate, I think it was, you know, you've got to be a bit lucky. You've got to be a bit crazy. Yeah. You've got to be a bit stupid, you know. Um, the, the way I played, I, I wasn't a real skillful halfback, you know. My main strengths were my competitiveness and toughness. And, you know, for a halfback, I liked to tackle. And I was one of the better defensive halfbacks, you know. I put my body on the line. Um, but I just loved it, you know. Mm. As long as I can remember, I wanted to play football. You know, yeah. that's all I wanted to do, you know. There was a stage in my life, you know, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I thought I'd play forever, you know. I, yeah. I honestly thought, there's no way I'm going to be retiring at 32. I'm going to be playing until 40 and that sort of stuff. But, you know, and again, for me, the older you get, it's a challenge mentally too, you know, to get up. And, and you know, I wasn't big or strong or fast, so I couldn't really rely on, you know, some of those talents. Mine was, I had to be, you know, mentally ready to, to, to compete at everything. And, and the longer your career goes, it's just so hard, you know. And, and it was more relief in the end when you when you do play good, you know, because you, um, you know, that, that sort of challenge every week is quite hard. Yeah, so true. Yeah, talking to some of the scouts around the traps, they're really looking for those young guys who just have that, that hunger to compete. Um, how, how important was that for you as, a, as an attribute in your career? Oh, it's what I was based on. You know, I, I made more errors than anyone, but, you know, I really believe, you know, 95% of my teammates I played with loved playing with me because I tried hard, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think I got a hall pass for all the errors because they knew I'd, yeah. I wasn't making them deliberately. You know, yeah. if I missed a tackle, it's not because I got out of the way of it. It's because, the, you know, the boat was too big and run over the top of me. So, you know, while I was tough on my teammates as well, I'd come through that generation where coaches were tough on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my teammates didn't know, uh, you know, the heat I'd take off them. And, and the, um, you know, they would make an error or something, I'd take responsibility for it. So, you know, I guess if I look back, I wish, wish I wasn't as uh, that sort of halfback. I was real cranky early and, and I'd blow up a lot. Um, but that's when I come through, that's how the senior players were for me, I guess. But, you know, it, it is. It's a tough, tough game, and you know, it's it's only getting tougher. Mate, you talked a bit about the Melbourne culture, but you you got to two grand finals in '03 and '04 with the Roosters. What was uh What was so special about that group of players? Oh, just tough and fit. Um, so, you know, I remember getting there my first day. We did a beat test, and the whole forward pack got like fourteen or fifteen. You know, I just thought, wow, um, just a tough yeah. team. Um, they changed it with the, with the rushing defence with Sticky. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, you know. Now, if you lift a player off the ground and someone uh, puts their hand on the back of their teammate, they call held because the Roosters changed that rule. Because so they would pick blokes up and drive them back ten metres. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were just so tough, and and it was old school. You know, it was um, train hard, play hard, drink hard, and that's how it was. And uh, I guess that suited me because everyone else was like it. And it was, you know, a great bunch of guys when you're winning and. And Freddie was the buffer, you know. He was at the end of his career, so he wasn't really socialising with us. He wasn't drinking at that stage of his career, which was, which was, you know, he kept us all in check. So if, you know, he thought we're well, going over the line, he'd go, Finchie, you know, let's get off the drink this week, you know, or after the game, or 
but there'll be plenty of times you walk in Monday morning and you go, right, oh, come over here, tell me what happened. You know, give me a rundown of your week. So uh, it was just a great environment to be in. And, and I guess, Timmy, you probably had more of it at the end of your career than mine. There's no social media. There's no camera yeah. phones. Mm. You know, it was just a better environment to be in, I think. Mate, before we get into the, the Parramatta part of your career, t- take us yep. through that historic origin oh, game. Oh. Please. <laughs> Just oh, play by play. Do, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate telling this story. <laughs> um, mate, I, I played on the Sunday. I wasn't originally picked in the team. Can you believe that? Um, wow. And I played on the Sunday. Um, I, you know, back then you'd have a few beers after training Monday. Tuesday, we had a, a big turnaround, so I was, we had beers again Tuesday night. Um, I was getting a call on my number when I was at the, the Bonnie RSL Tuesday night. I didn't know who it was, so I wasn't answering it. It was obviously... Laurie Daly trying to call me to say I was in the team. Um, I had to get a taxi out there because obviously I was uh, intoxicated. Got out there about midnight. Um, <laughs> you know, the next day we're running through the plays at Parramatta Stadium. I don't have any boots. I forgot to pack my boots. So I'm <laughs> running through the plays. I'm running through the plays in the, the all-star high tops converse. Oh, and the wow. boys just yeah. going. Great and I'm, you know, Great and I'm all, all over the shop and the boys are going, mate, we've done 10 days in camp. This boat's going to blow up. Lot for all of us, you know. Um, but but I mate, that situation suited me perfectly, you know, because uh, uh, I'd take it on, um, you know. And I knew in in the back of my head, if I come out and have a blinder, what this is folklore stuff, you know. Um, sure and is. I knew I had nothing to lose. And, and for in a weird way, Origins easier because you're playing with the best players, you know. So you know they do their job at a high level. You don't have to worry about it. You just concentrate on yourself. But the game worked in my favour. The forwards dominated early, which, you know, got me into the game and, and got me into a great rhythm. And um, the field goal, I don't know if you remember, early in my career, I took it from the 20-metre restart, I tried to find touch, yeah, yeah. and I kicked out the fall and lost the game. Yeah. The same reason I kicked the field goal was the same reason I lost the game that day. You know, I always always had a belief in myself that whatever the odds were, I could beat that, you know? Um, I always thought I could come out on top. Now... It got me into trouble plenty of times, and I should have known my limitations. But because of that mentality I had, you know, I've got some moments that not too many people um, have, have had, you know, and yeah. they're with me forever. So, you know, I was lucky to play a couple of games of Origins. There was some injuries there that, that gave me a start. But, you know, I've got my little piece of Origin that, you know, no one can take away, you know what I mean? So, you know, 15 years on, I still get asked to come to the New South Wales functions to tell the story, and it's glorious, you know. Free drinks to, and give yourself a wrap on the, on the stage. But, uh, yeah. but, you know, you, you, you know what you do in Origin lasts forever, and, and yeah. I was never the best Origin player, but, you know, I've got my own little slice of history. And it's funny you touch about the whole um, backing yourself and not being scared to, of failure because that's – that's what all superstars have. Like, and there's, I reckon a good 90% of players playing in NRL don't have that. They, they're all happy to play it safe. And I'll, I'm, I'll put my hand up. I was one of them. But I was happy to play it safe um, and just do what I was good at and know that, you know, I can do my job and I'll keep my spot in the team and everything's happy. But people like you and other players that are superstars, like, you know, like Callum Ponga, he, he throws out cutout passes on the weekend. Mm. They could get intercepted, but he's not thinking about the intercept. He's thinking about what if I score the try? Yeah. Um, and yeah, hundred percent. They're they're the super, and, it's and, and a sport. lot of them feel no matter what happens, the, you know. I always thought the result depends on me. So, you know, I could have a blinder, but we lose, and I'd be devastated. You know. Yeah. Um, because that's the the mentality you know I took. You know, so 
you can imagine I was devastated a lot of the times because I had plenty of losses. Right, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. you know that, that's you know I, I don't think I'm in that superstar category, but that's the mentality I had, and probably a reason why. You know, a lot of the time the coaches would stick with me because they'd know, you know, I was going to go out there and, and not hold anything back. Well, mate, you end up coming to the the Wild West, mate, the uh, the glorious yeah. the paradise, and um, you. You leave after we spoke about it before after round four, and you end up at Melbourne Storm. I know you, yeah. you, every time we are talking to you about this, we spoke about it on the air a couple of weeks ago. You always play it down like you know it wasn't that big a deal to beat Parry in the grand final, but for yeah, I know what sport can be like. I know how how sometimes you know it can really not not I don't know if bitter is a word, but it can make you really upset with the way things can work out. And yeah. for you to have a bit of a last laugh at a team that kind of like parted ways, you had that feel. No, mate, to, to be honest with you, Timmy, it really didn't because I lost the, the two grand finals early in my career. All I ever wanted to do since I was four was win a grand final. Yeah. You know, I, I remember growing up and had tapes of dad winning the St. George teams in 77 and 79 when they won and just watched them over and over again. And that's all I wanted to do. And, you know, I went out to Parramatta to play 5-8, you know, under Haig. Yeah. And um, the first year was brilliant. We made a prelim final. And, and then the second year, Timmy Smith, um, had a few issues and he, and he stood down. So I'm back in the halfback role, which I didn't want to play, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I guess that year, at the end of that year in 08, we missed the finals. I, I go to Hayden Knowles and go, mate, we need to bring a bit of old school training back. You know, um, some of the younger boys, Hainsey, Inu, Faletti, you know, talented boys and terrific boys, but probably not the greatest work ethic. So I said, we need to get some of that steel back into us. So I really started applying me, like not I was always applying myself, but I really dived in that off season. And I don't know if you remember, Timmy, you were you were the leader of those young kids, and, and you were the youngest, mm, you know. Yeah, and no. I got nothing back from them, so that sort of ate away at me. Um, you know, the fire. I think, you know, what am I doing? You know, like, and I was driving an hour or so to training every day, yeah. about thirty-two bucks in tolls every day from from Bondi to Parramatta, but it just <laughs> ate away at me and and. And I truly did. I had, I had nothing against Daniel. There was nothing there at all. I just lost that, you know, that drive. And there was no use me being in reserve grade. You know, I was going to go there. I was going to take up a lot of money in the salary cap. And I was going to be a bad influence on people, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it was going to be best for both parties. When I stood down, I, I think that was my 12th year. Um, I, you know, I was even thinking about retiring. I, I hadn't spoke to Melbourne at that stage. I just walked away. So, um. You know, I had some really fun times at Parramatta. The fans were great, and especially that first year out there was, was fantastic. Oh, mate, the fans out there, especially when you're going well, and when that first year you had out there, you guys were awesome. But when you're going well, that the Parramatta fans are some of the best in the comp, and they're, they're, just, they're hungry for success. So I can't wait for the year they win it. The, the city's going to explode. Hold up. Did you say you walked yeah, away? Well, sorry, oh, go. sorry, Gab. I was just going to say... You would have thought you boys won the, the grand final in '09. Oh, yeah, no. That was embarrassing. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Yeah. Mate, I remember sitting in Sydney and we're around the dinner table with boys. I said, <laughs> boys, do you know who Parramatta are playing in the grand final this week? Because there was 10 pages of para in the paper. You wouldn't know who they were playing. <laughs> yeah. It was madness. But that's the the strength of Parramatta and the blue and gold. Yeah, it's, it's a big brand. It's such a popular, powerful club. You know? yeah. Did you say you walked away from Parramatta without talking to Melbourne? Is that what you said? No, yeah, I didn't. No, no, it was about a week or two later. Melbourne got in touch with me. I just walked. Yeah, what, what happened there? Tell us a bit about that. Well, I just went to Dan. I said, mate, I was four games into a three-year deal, the biggest contract of, of my career. I said, mate, I think it's, I'm done. I want to release. I, I had no one to go to. Right. Um, I hadn't even spoke to anyone. Um, Unreal. Yeah. That, that was a Thursday, I think, or a Wednesday. The Thursday I flew out, went down to 
Bells Beach that the surfing was on down there. A, a, a gentleman who, who worked with Joel Parkinson at the time, you know, a bit of a mentor to both of us. He was down there with Joel. And I, he just said, come down here, you know, because I was obviously a bit all over the shop and didn't know what I was going to do or even if I was going to play again. And uh, was three or four days later, um, Matty Johns called me because he had obviously done some work with the Storm and said, mate, before you do anything, just uh, talk to Bellyache. And Cooper and Belly, uh, Cooper Cronk and Craig rang me and um, I thought if I was ever going to get a chance to, to achieve my goal, winning the grand final, would be down there. It's crazy that the, the success that club has. You touched on it at the start of the show, but the good clubs like Melbourne, they're good for a reason. It's got nothing to do with how talented the players are because you, know, you see teams all the time sign talented players, but... Yeah. When, when they come to your club, it's, it's one thing being talented. It's nothing having a culture that kind of gets the best out of that. And you know, Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne are by far, in, in my eyes, Melbourne are the best at doing that. Well, the thing is, Timmy, down there, the, like the trademarks or the, the goals every week or each year are based on effort. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it doesn't matter if you're Cameron Smith or the, the youngest bloke in the team. If you don't achieve those goals, it's obvious because you haven't applied yourself. Yeah. So, you know, they're amazing. The one thing with champions. I know a lot of Aussies love the underdogs, but I love champions because to be a champion is harder, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, to, to climb the mountain and you get to the top of the mountain and it's amazing. You know, it's the first time you've got a lot of drive and a lot of hunger to achieve that, but it only takes a select few to go back down the mountain and go back up it again. When you know what challenges face, you know, you yeah. know how hard it is and you know the outcome, you, you know? Um, you know, and that's what Melbourne did. They, they And they still do it now. It's ridiculous how... Yeah, you know they just reset every year and and they train and play like they've achieved nothing. That's, that's such a good trait to have, isn't mm. it? Hey, um, you talked about mountains and what it feels like sometimes coming down the mountain. But uh, I we spoke to Shane Shackleton last week, mate. We've had Loco the week before. I've had it, it, like I said, every single week the stories we have on here is a very similar kind of uh, theme, yeah. and that's that feeling post career. You know, and doesn't matter like. If I'm gonna be honest with you, I I thought I could not have been more prepared. I spent I spent 11 years of my career in um in universities. So I was I studied. I had all these qualifications. I spent the last three years of my career working one day a week with the club to to train in corporate partnerships. I could, they, you probably couldn't find a, a person more prepared for post footy. And even when I finished, it was like now what? Like I was just so used to routine. I was so used to having someone tell me where to be, what time to be there, um, what yeah. to wear. How, how did you find the transition from you know, your playing career to your, you know, your post career? I know you, you kind of had a bit of a soft landing in media, which kind of... Yeah. How did you find it all? Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. And, and there's things I still deal with today. You know, yeah. you know, the crowd's turned off. You know, there's no one saying, Finchie, you know, he's a, a box of Nike shoes. You know, there's no one... Oh, mate, who, no did one you know how much runners cost? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's, there's, I had no, no idea, one. yeah. Mate, but, it, you know, there's no one catering to you. It, you know, it's over, and, and no one cares. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, for me, my whole world was football, and then you're done. One day you're, you're an NRL player, which is uh, – you're a small percent, you know, of, of the population that can do a job that, you know, is so hard to do, you know. And then the next day, you're nothing, you know. I, I wasn't – I wasn't uh, – you know, I had no training for anything. I wasn't qualified for anything, you know, and – you know, all the stuff that I, that would do me head in, like the pressure of being a halfback and, you know, all you know the demands of training, I missed it as soon as I finished, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I, there was no drive, you know, there's no, I don't know, um, sort of drive or, you know, any positive, you know, there's nothing there for me. It was empty. And, 
You know, I remember I went to speak to a psychologist, and he goes, mate, um, you know, great thrill. You live up on, I go down and watch the sunrise. So I get up and go down and watch the sunrise, and I go, is this it? Is this the shit? You know, is this the, is this what is this my height? You know, yeah. You know, you go from kicking a field goal in front of eighty thousand to watching the sun. Like, who cares? Yeah. Know? <laughs> um, and, and mate, you're right. I went into a good job. Yeah. You know, so people thought, well, he's and mate, you know me. I like one thing I can do too, Timmy, is I can cover up my emotions and put a mask on. I'll play a character. Yeah. So I, I hit it and I laughed it off. You know, and inside I knew I was gone. You know, I. I knew I was in some trouble well, halfway through my last year of footy. And, um, you know, I remember a funny story. It wasn't funny at the time, but at the end, when I finished, I went away for a month. I went to Vegas and I went over to Europe. So I'm in Belgium and I'm at this club and, and the boys I was with went home. They were knackered. But I stayed out. Anyway, I ended up talking to the owner. He goes, hey, what are you doing? I told him me trip. He goes, well, what do you do for a job? I said, I'm not too sure if you heard. It's rugby league. Anyway. So anyway, he's gone to Google me out in his office and he's seen the field goal. So he's put the field goal on the big screen of his nightclub. <laughs> Mate, then it hit me. You know, that was about a month after. It hit me right there and then that I'm never going to play footy again. I started bawling my eyes out in the middle of a nightclub in Belgium. It was hilarious. No one could have <laughs> understand what I was, what's this bloke doing? Yeah, but yeah. it just hit me there. And, you know, every session at training is a challenge. You know, how hard they train, you know, all that sort of stuff, the camaraderie. You know, all I'd ever known was football, and um, when it was gone, it left a massive hole. Sounds like a full-on challenging season, obviously. What were some of the things that you did grab onto that kind of helped you get out of that that hole or that emotional, you know, challenge? Oh, well, I, I, I hit rock bottom, you know. I had to hit rock bottom, I think, before I could come back up. I had to admit I had issues with stuff, you know. I had a problem with stuff. Um, you know, you got to be honest with yourself, because yeah. what was... What was driving me, what kept me in that sort of cycle was I hated the person I'd become, so I'd use substances to not make me think about it. Mm. But that's just making it worse, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and now at times it was played out in the media, you know, and, you know, when I'm hurting myself, I can handle that. But, you know, when it, you see it affects your, your missus or your mum and dad, you know, that, that's when it starts to take its toll. But, you know, it, it it was hard to get out of it and it took a long time, but, you know, step by step, you're gradually just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, as every week goes, goes by, you know, I think, all right, you know, it's getting, getting better. Mate, you, you talk about the media and, um, yeah, for, for normal people listening to your show, everyone has, everyone has down stages of their life. Everyone has a, a tough patch yeah. they go through, but when you're in the media, when you're a public figure, like you, you are, everything gets played out. On loudspeaker, everyone sees every mm. every stuff up, every mishap, every fall. How yep. did you feel when a lot of that was getting blasted publicly? Like, how did you, how did you cope with that? Oh, oh, mate, it was hard because I come out. I never got caught doing anything or did anything wrong. I just said I had a problem, you know. Yeah. So there's no, you know, some people get arrested for something, then they'll go get treatment, you know. Yeah. I yeah. did nothing wrong. I just knew I had a problem, mm. and I was honest about it. You know, I remember times at Fox Sports. I was doing the Maddie Johns podcast. People were saying I was on ice. Like, that is outrageous. Mm, you know, yeah. like, I've never touched that in my life, you know. And, and just because I've been honest, yeah. and you know what I'm like, Timmy, I'm you know, quite energetic, I'm handy, you know. You know, any time people see me, oh, he must be off his head or he must, you know, so that hurts, you know, because they don't know what I've been through. And, and, and because I was so honest about it, you know, it sort of gets used against you. 
Mate, it seems like so many people don't have that quality of just transparency and being open and vulnerable. Where, where did that come from you? It seems like you were just going to man up and... and uh, oh, you got to... Yeah, yeah. I, well, I did it when I played footy, you know? I yeah. take the responsibility. And, you know, I've always... One thing I've never done, you know, I've, I've done some some things I regret, but I've, I've never blamed any, anyone else. I've never passed the buck. Um, and, and one thing about owning it is, you know... Say what you want. I, I know my truth, and you know you can't. You know there's going to there's not going to be any rumours floating around because I've been honest. You know yeah, yeah. I've got nothing to worry about, um, and, and I know where I sit with it. You know because you know you're honest with yourself. If you, you know, if I was lying about things or covering up things, you know, uh, you know you know yourself. You know when you're laying in bed at night, you just yourself and your thoughts that you know you, you're only cheating yourself. So yeah. That's one good quality that, that still remains through that, you know, uh, stage of addiction. Yeah. Mate, you landed, uh, you know, you're punching above your weight with Ellie. And obviously she's awesome at, in terms of like um, as a support for you. But how, how yeah. else did you find your support network? Did you find there were many people backing you in your corner? How did you feel when you're going through yeah. your tougher times? Yeah. yeah, I had plenty. And Ellie was great. Um, she was from Melbourne. She, and uh, she probably had it because she had to come to Sydney and, the hardest thing was I put her through hell, you know, um, something I doesn't sit well with me now. She stuck by me, but then I got all the support and help, you know what I mean? When yeah. I, I was the one doing all the wrong stuff and she, you know, and she didn't really want to talk to any of her family about it because she didn't want to feel like she was going against me. But then, you know, she couldn't really talk to anyone. So what she went through, um, you know, it, 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 if she didn't stay with me, I'd, I'd, I'd be dead or in jail. You know, wow. there's not too yeah. many other outcomes. Yeah, mate. And tell us about Mackenzie. So you've you've kind of you've gone through this dark cloud and this um you know troublesome time, but then you kind of find your feet. You get some help, and now you've got this beautiful daughter. What's it like being mm. a father? Oh, it's the best, mate. You know, I, I was the last to get married to my mates and have kids, and they always say you it's a feeling you never understand. I go, I understand it. You, you know, I've got nephews and that. I love them. You know, they go, no, you don't understand. And when Mackenzie was born, it was like my whole world got a fresh coat of paint, you know. And yeah, um, you know, you, I thought one of my struggles was I always just thought about football. Yeah, you know, I had no plans to do anything. So when I finished, I felt like, well, what am I going to do? And I'm 32. Yeah, you know, and when I had Mackenzie, it's like, oh, this is what I'm on this planet to to be her dad. And, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, she's a little ripper. She she looks like a mother. Thank God. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, a personality like me, she just does not oh, stop. Oh no, oh no. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's um, yeah, she's a little ripper. She's she's great. She, it's a different change to what life was ten years ago. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And what about like the next chapter? What what, what are you what are you passionate about? What gets you excited? What do you what do you see yourself doing more of? What do you want to do more of? Mate, I'd love to coach. You know. Oh yes, I went back you'd to be awesome that at that. Last, la- yeah, that last year I went back and I was going to have a year where so I played and I was going to coach the 20s. Yeah. Um, well, they, they offered me the 20s job, but then Channel 9 came in and I went that way. And you know what? Like, there's talk about sliding doors. I go to Channel 9 on good money, you know, because obviously there's a lot more money than being a 20s coach. You know, I'm working two or three days a week. So that allows, with a lot of money, allows me to get up to no good, you know. Um, if I was coaching down at Melbourne, it's around the clock, you know. It could, things could have been a lot different. I don't know, but... You know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get back into coaching. Obviously, my reputation, um, you know, I'd be a gamble for clubs. Um, but I know I can influence people. I, I know I can um, I can relate to people. I can relate to kids and the halfbacks. And, 
You know, it's funny. It's like all the great coaches weren't the best players. You know what I mean? I, I think I've got a good footy mind, even though I, you know, I wasn't the best footy player. Mate, I, I'm, I'm actually pumped you said that because I envision you being. I feel like when you're playing, you're kind of coaching yeah. as you're playing as well. So it's something that you'd be naturally so good at. Mate, we're, that went super quick. It's probably the, felt the quickest that we've yeah, ever gone through a podcast. Did we, did we tell the origin story? Did we get that? <laughs> yeah, I think we told it twice. Oh, we might see if <laughs> we can get sure. the... Uh, Benny, we, we actually... Um, there was one day where, where um, COVID cancelled the games a couple of weeks ago in, in Brisbane. So we actually got to relive the, the, that game. Oh, so Finchie wow. and I got to commentate. Uh, it, was a, it was a magic moment. Wow. Um, Finchie, oh. mate, honestly, I'm so... like I keep... Looking back at my career and some of the highlights, like I look at the players I got to play against and play with, and you were yeah. my father. When I was when I was a kid, it was Kalis, Heine, and yourself were guys that I was just like pinching myself that I got to like train alongside. Um, yeah. And just the, I keep talking about that hole you left, but you're that kind of character. People just are warm to people like really enjoy having you around. I, I yeah, think, but it's a bit like yourself, Tibby. You know, like when you if you're the best player in the team, but you're a dickhead, like I'll play with you now because we need you. But when we finish, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You know, it's like. We hadn't seen each other in ages. I mean, we lived back up at SCN. It's like nothing left. You know, you were, you were one of those players, that, you know, even though there's an age gap there and you are young, I just loved uh, socialising with. Yeah. And obviously, you never known all my stories, so I could lie and embellish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to touch on that. I thought, like, so, as a kid, playing, like, you know, training alongside you and playing alongside you and debuting with you as well was awesome. But now at SEN, so having you part of the SEN team, I'm th- I, I keep pinching ourselves thinking, how do we have this guy at SEN? Like, this guy... He's probably one of the best, like in in this kind of industry. When it comes to commentating, everyone knows your energy and, and your insight and yeah. what you bring. Like it's, we've got like a first class commentator at this team, so we're pretty lucky to have you. But mate, thank you so much for your time. Um, I actually really hope you start looking at doing some more coaching because I think you'd be amazing at that. But we appreciate it, and we yes. uh, look forward to listening to you more of you on Sen, mate. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, Finchos. Thank you. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.